Hello, everyone. I apologize for the uh, brief delay. Oops, jumping ahead on the slides. Um, hopefully, everyone can uh, see me and hear me. This is uh, pitfalls of um, subrogation, but more like the pitfalls of uh, presenting remotely. Um, <clears throat> all right, I, I got the I got the green light from the IT guy. He says you can all see me and hear me. So, with that vote of confidence, I'm just going to go ahead and get started here. Again, sorry about the wait. Thank you for joining everybody. Uh, welcome to the pitfalls for a carrier uh, seeking reimbursement uh, from New York State or municipal entities. So uh, here's how you ask questions. You'll see a little box on your right. Um, just fill it out uh, during the webinar. And at the conclusion, I'll pop them out and look at them and we'll get to any uh, questions or concerns you have. So um, let's start with just what subrogation is just very much basics here. Uh, section 29.2 and Section 40F allow the carrier slash self-insured employer to step into the shoes of the claimant slash petitioner, uh, provided certain requirements are met. Uh, we go into those requirements in other webinars, but you know, long story short, uh, you basically have to wait a year, not technically in New York, but then uh, 10 days notice in New Jersey, 30 days notice in New York. New York, it's one year or six months after the awarding of comp, whichever comes, comes sooner. Uh, so after that year period goes by and you serve notice, you can technically step into the claimant's shoes and file. Um, now, sometimes the worker's cause of action is against a public entity. Um, so Section 40, which is New Jersey Subro Statute, and Title 59, the Tort Claims Act, uh, largely bar these types of claims in New Jersey, but that is not the case for Section 29 in New York. So we're going to get New Jersey out of the way for you guys, and then we'll get into the meat of this. So Section 40 in New Jersey and Title 59. So if a claimant recovers under a policy of insurance, such benefits are deducted from the award against a public entity. This is why you don't have Section 40 rights on Title 59 claims. No insurer or other person shall be entitled to bring an action under a subrogation provision in an insurance contract against a public entity or public employee. Uh, Travelers Insurance Company versus Colella, no reimbursement from petitioner's third-party recovery against a public entity. So, in other words, uh, awards against a public entity are offset by comp benefits, and therefore you don't have subrogation or reimbursement rights in those cases. Is the Title 59 bar absolute? Yes and no. So, if it can be considered a public entity, which is a broad definition under the statute that includes the state of New Jersey, uh, that public entity is immune from Section 40. However, by its definition, public entity means public entity in the state of New Jersey, not other states. We just had this pop up in a case last week uh, where the suit was actually against the federal government or a federal government entity, and um, petitioner's third-party counsel tried to argue that Title 59 applied. The judge agreed that it didn't. So um, also the attorney's fee was capped at 25% in that case. So that's a neat little thing to file away if you ever have a third-party action against a federal government entity. Don't, don't get slapped with that third reduction to your lien. The attorney's fee should be capped at 25%. Um, but anyway, Feely versus Port of New York Authority, and then this other case, Wood versus Dick slash Underhill and Universal Builders Supply Co. So they pointed out that as a shared entity of New York and New Jersey, the Port Authority is also not immune from Section 40. So just you know, keep that information filed away when you have these Title 59 claims. You may be able to get around it, but it's very limited. 
So let's dive in here. New York's general municipal law. So Section 50E requires a notice of claim within 90 days. You have a one year and 90 days SOL. That is not from the 90 days after the notice of claim is filed. That is from the date of accrual. So one year and 90 days from the date of loss, but in the first 90 days, you have to file the notice of claim. The requirements for the notice of claim are defined in subsection two. Uh, I didn't write out the whole thing here, but it's got to be in writing, sworn to. It has to have the name and address of the claimant and attorney, nature of the claim, time, place, manner of the claim, items of damages or injuries, etc. So serving the notice of claim. It has to be served personally or via registered or certified mail unless electronic service is permitted. Uh, the City of New York does this. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, service by mail is complete upon mailing. I'm underlining this for a reason because it's going to be relevant in a couple slides. Uh, service is still valid if a 50H hearing is demanded or if notice is actually received and the public entity fails to return it specifying the defect within 30 days. If they do return it within 30 days specifying the defects, you have 10 days to cure after that. Uh, but even if your notice of claim is technically invalid, if they go ahead with the 50H hearing uh, or if they actually receive the notice and fail to return it specifying a defect, it can be deemed valid basically retroactively. So notice of claim contents and requirements. Claims against the city of New York. We have the comptroller's office online form. You can literally just Google search comptroller notice of claim city of New York, uh, and the link will take you right to it. Requirements for the notice are strictly construed. You have to allege every cause of action and the basis for each with particularity. If you don't, you could be stopped from raising causes of action that were not properly alleged in the notice. So continuing with our requirements here, a party can apply to a court for leave to serve a late notice within the applicable statute of limitations. So you can't get away with a late notice if you're outside of the year in 90 days. They're going to look at the public entity's actual knowledge, relevant facts and circumstances, justifiable reliance or excusable error, electronic failure for those e-filed notices like with the comptroller of the city of New York. Um, and what I actually like about this is your application cannot be denied on the grounds that it was made after the commencement of an action. So um, why this is important is you can actually file your claim within a year and 90 days, even if you have a defective notice of claim, and just to preserve your right to prosecute the claim, uh, and then find out if you can cure the defect through the court afterwards. But you should still be filing if you intend to try and get leave to file a, a late or defective notice of claim. So the 50H hearing, um, the public entity has the right to demand the deposition of the claimant once the notice of claim is filed. Side note, this is a great resource for investigation purposes. Uh, you know, like we said, everything has to be stated with particularity and these municipal entities, thank you to our IT whiz, Kendra Castro. He's keeping me posted every step of the way. So I apologize if I'm dropping out here and there, it's because I'm getting messages on the side here saying uh, what's going on with the presentation. So. He says I'm back, I'm gonna assume that means I'm back. So anyway, um, so side note, these 50H transcripts um, from the public entity deposition that they can demand to the claimant, these are a great investigatory resource uh, because they have to plead this, uh, because they have to, Kendrick's thanking me for the shout out, uh, <laughs> because they have to plead their claim with particularity, um, so you'll find that a claimant will often be more forthright with the city of New York or whichever municipal entity is taking this 50H hearing. Um, and it can be a good chance to compare it with the comp claim to find out about, you know, prior injuries or uh, maybe current work status. You know, you'd be surprised at how often you can catch them in a lie uh, or maybe find out about something you didn't know about, you know, treating providers for a pre-existing injury, for instance. So, 
Um, I do recommend checking out the 50H transcript if you're aware of a third-party action against a uh, municipality, but uh, moving right along. So um, the demand for the 50H hearing has to be in writing and served personally or via registered and certified mail unless it's served upon counsel. Uh, the demand has to be made within 90 days of filing the notice of claim or 120 days if the notice of claim is served upon the Secretary of State. Uh, suit cannot be commenced until after the demand is complied with, but the claimant can commence uh, their action if the exam is not conducted within 90 days of service of the demand. So we're getting the law out of the way here, and then I'm going to get into the subrogation aspect after that. So just bear with me. Um, so the prior written notice requirement for premises liability claims Cracks or potholes or other dangerous conditions on public ways require prior written notice to sue. Uh, the city of New York, you've probably gotten um, hit with this if you've ever tried to sue them before for a pothole or a crack or something like that. Um, they'll basically be able to deny the claim if you can't prove prior written notice of the defect. Uh, you can get this information through a uh, Freedom of Information Act request through the New York Department of Transportation. You can see if somebody had maybe filed a complaint about the pothole previously. Uh, there's this lovely thing that's been around for several decades and now the Big Apple Pothole Corporation. They continually prepare maps of dangerous conditions throughout the city of New York, uh, and those are shared with the city of New York. So previously these maps have been deemed to be sufficient notice of the defective condition in the past. So um, I do recommend getting that uh, Big Apple Pothole Corporation map if you're trying to commence a suit based on a pothole or a crack. So claims against the state of New York are and the Court of Claims Act. So it's gonna be brought in the Court of Claims and governed by the Court of Claims Act. Uh, it has to be filed, the claim has to be filed and served, I put in parentheses received, uh, upon the Attorney General within 90 days unless a notice of intention is served within 90 days. After, and you have two years from the date of loss to file if you go that route with the notice of intention. So this actually has to be received by the attorney general, general within those first 90 days. Do not wait until day 90, unlike with um, Municipal Law 50E and serving the notice of claim. It is not complete upon mailing. The attorney general has to have it on their desk within those first 90 days. So uh, get it out by day 75 at the latest, especially with today's mailing delays. Um, it has to be served personally or via certified mail per section 11. Um, if the defendant is the New York State Thruway Authority, the City University of New York, or the New York State Power Authority, you also have to serve them individually in addition to the Attorney General. Um, if you're wondering what a notice of intention is, it's basically the same thing as the notice of claim. It's, hey, I have this case and I intend to file it. You're, the only difference is against the State of New York, you have the alternative of just filing the claim itself within the first 90 days. So uh, filing requirements against the state, the claim or notice of intention must have a time, place, and nature of incident, items of damages. You don't need the total sum in a personal injury case, uh, and it has to be verified. Um, the notice of intention permits a 17A examination, provided it is demanded within 90 days of service of the no notice of intention. So this might sound familiar to you. The 17A exam uh, is the 50H exam, except it's for the state of New York. So if you go the route with uh, filing the notice of intention instead of filing the claim itself, just note that you're opening up for this 17A exam. Uh, the party can apply to proceed with defective notice, but the application still has to have all of the above. Uh, and it's the similar factors to trying to get retroactive uh, leave or to cure a defect for a notice of claim. 
excusable delay, knowledge of essential facts, opportunity to investigate merits of the claim, substantial prejudice, and availability of other remedies. Just a uh, quick cautionary tale here, beware the general education law. So city of, the City University of New York is one of those specific entities that you have to serve in addition to the Attorney General. This actually did pop up in a slip and fall case we had against the City University of New York, one of their um, campuses. And so Education Law 6224 for suits against uh, the City University of New York, they actually have to receive a demand with the basis for the claim against them and have 30 days to resolve the issue amicably. And the, the real uh, sticking point here is that actually has to be done within the initial 90-day period. So they have to have gotten the demand and had 30 days to respond and failed to do so uh, or denied the claim within the first 90 days. So um, you would have to serve it absolutely no later than day 59 if you want it to still be timely. Other filing requirements, the claim or notice of intention must have uh, the post office address of each claimant and contact info for the attorneys. Uh, if the notice of intention is filed, the eventual claim has to state the notice of intention's date of service upon the Attorney General. You'll see that in claims against the state of New York, it'll say a notice of intention was served on such and such date. Uh, and malpractice actions in the court of claims require a certificate of merit. That's the same as in the Supreme Court. You need to find a doctor signing off on it saying it's legit. All right, what everyone's here for, the subrogation pitfalls. Let's go over this. So um, the time limitations under Section 29 that we talked about at the outset of this webinar, they do not extend any of the aforementioned time limits. So even if you're sitting there scratching your head saying, well, wait a minute, if I have to wait a year to serve the 29-2 notice, how the heck am I going to do a notice of claim within the first 90 days? Well, even though Section 29-2 requires that waiting period, six months or a year, um, this does not extend the 90-day requirement for municipal or state actions. So how do we handle subro in these types of cases? Well, we got a couple of case studies to look at that are quite helpful. Uh, commissioners of the State Insurance Fund versus Town of Howard. Uh, the citation's there for anyone who would like it. Uh, basically, this case says the carrier should file the notice of claim to preserve subrogation against the municipality, even if assignment under Section 29.2 has not occurred. So if you think you have a viable claim against a municipal slash public entity that's not the state of New York, you should file that notice of claim. You don't know if the claimant ever did it. And worst case scenario, they serve you with a 50H demand and you go, eh, you know, I decided the case is not legit or oh, the claimant's not going to show up. But at least you've covered yourself. Uh, Aetna casualty uh, against um, Sandy Hill Corp. Uh, so someone, the carrier or the claimant, has to timely file the notice of claim. So there's an interesting um, interplay here with how Section 29 works and the concept of assignment. The claimant can actually file, and we'll see that with another case, the claimant can file the notice of claim, and we can hang our hats on that if the claimant eventually doesn't file within a year. If we do that, if we file the notice of claim and the claimant doesn't, uh, the claimant cannot hang their hats on our notice of claim. So um, basically this case says someone, carrier claimant, you got to file the timely notice of claim. You can't say Section 29 gives you more time. So uh, Atlantic Mutual Insurance Co. versus State, someone has to file the notice of intent, uh, intention or the actual claim against the state within the first 90 days. Uh, so you'll notice this sounds very familiar to the other case we just cited. This is against the state of New York instead of against the municipality. They say the exact same thing. 
carrier or claimant, someone's got to file that notice of intention or the actual claim against the state within the first 90 days. And again, the same thing. The carrier can rely on the claimant's timely notice of claim. There's this case, uh, Hartford Insurance Co. versus City of New York. Uh, but the claimant cannot rely on the carrier's notice of claim in Gulo versus City of New York. Uh, this is because Section 29.2 assigns the right, and that only works one way. It says, you know, the claimant's failure to file upon notice shall operate as an assignment of the cause of action to the carrier. Uh, once that happens, it's our case. It's not the claimant's. There's no such thing as a reverse assignment. What about loss transfer? Um, if you're asking this question, you should give yourself a pat on the back. This is one of my uh, favorite, favorite topics and an often misunderstood one uh, in New York subrogation and risk transfer. So intercompany loss transfer comes from Article 51 of the New York Insurance Law. It applies to accidents arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. Uh, it is a claim against another carrier or self-insured's mandatory minimum no-fault coverage of 50K. So every carrier um, that's issuing no-fault coverage or, uh, well, yeah, every carrier issuing no-fault coverage, the comp carrier pays benefits in lieu of that no-fault coverage. But if you're going to write an auto policy in New York, basically, you have this mandatory minimum 50K prescribed policy endorsement. What loss transfer does is allows, allows the carrier, when you pay the first 50K in lieu of first-party benefits, to foist that off onto someone else's no-fault coverage, you know, the, the at-fault carrier or self-insured entity. So public entity loss transfer, um, this has actually come up a couple times in, in recent years, uh, and it does work. I would recommend filing your loss transfer claim uh, if you have it against a public entity because they are surprisingly willing to pay it. Um, the city of New York is self-insured for loss transfer purposes and can be a respondent to loss transfer. So if they don't respond to the um, demand positively, you can commence arbitration and uh, in arbitration forum system, they are a respondent and you can list to your arbitration petition. Uh, no notice of claim or notice of intent requirement and the three-year loss transfer SOL governs. So that's three years from the date of each payment for which you're seeking reimbursement, not three years from the date of loss. It's a rolling statute. That's what governs in loss transfer cases, not this 90-day thing. So if you're outside of 90 days in a loss transfer case against a public entity or the state of New York, worry not, all is not lost. Uh, continuing on public loss, public entity loss transfer, the state of New York as a self-insured entity is subject to mandatory arbitration procedures of the no-fault law. Same thing, they can be a respondent similar to the city of New York. This comes from Matter of State Insurance Fund. Uh, and loss transfer demand against city of New York can be served on the comptroller's office. But beware of a claim against the public benefit corporation, the MTA, um, the New York City Transit Authority, et cetera, uh, as these are separately self-insured and distinct legal entities. Uh, and to tack on to that, you know, if you're going against the MTA bus company, for instance, just note that 5105A of the insurance law prohibits insurers of bus occupants from seeking loss transfer against the bus's insurer. So just a little something to keep in mind there in an MTA or NYCTA case, but they have to be served um, with their own loss transfer demand uh, instead of the comptroller of the city of New York. They're their own self-insured entity. All right, some takeaways, and then we'll get to questions. 
So when third-party potential is identified and the case is referred to a recovery recovery specialist to assess, you've probably seen that in your claim file, you know, um, subrogation potential identified referring to the recovery department. Uh, if there is any possibility at all that the municipal or state entity could be on the hook, you got to file the notice of claim or notice of intention on behalf of the carrier ASAP, even if there's any conceivable possibility down the road that you might want to sue either the state of New York or a uh, public entity in New York, you got to file the notice of claim or notice of intention. has to be done within 90 days and just note your applicable statutes of limitation thereafter. Uh, one year and 90 days from the date of loss for uh, uh, municipal claims, two years from the date of loss for court of claims, assuming you file a notice of intention instead of the claim itself within the first 90 days. You got to harmonize this with the timing and requirements of Section 29.2. So you'll file your notice of claim or notice of intention within the first 90 days, and then you still got to calendar out six months from the awarding of comp or one year from the date of loss, whichever comes sooner, to serve your Section 29.2 assignment notice, and then give the claimant 30 days after that, uh, at which point you can file the claim yourself. So you're probably, if you're doing the math mentally, you're going to notice that doesn't leave you a heck of a lot of time to sue, sue a municipal entity because you have to wait um, one year and then you have a year and 90 days from the date of loss to sue and you have to give the claimant 30 days notice. So you're really only going to have 60 days in those cases to file if you're doing everything by the books. So um, definitely make sure you're harmonizing with the requirements of Section 29.2. Um, remember that if the claimant fails to timely file uh, the notice of claim or notice of intention, we cannot reassign our own subro action to the claimant. It may sound attractive to say, we're gonna withdraw and let the claimant prosecute this and just sit back and assert our lien. The case is gonna die if you do that. So uh, if the claimant hasn't filed one, buckle up and get ready for litigation. We actually have to subrogate. Uh, but we can rely on a claimant's notice of claim slash notice of intention if section 29.2 is adhered to. Uh, and we can also seek leave from the court to file late. So if you didn't file one and you feel really strongly about the cause of action uh, and we can somehow prove that maybe they did already have notice and there's no prejudice, we can always try the motion for leave to cure the defect. Um, I'd urge you to consider issues of proof, uh, such as whether the claimant is going to submit to a 50H or 17A examination, whether you'll have their participation in discovery. That goes into the calculus about whether to file the case after you do the notice of claim slash notice of intention. Uh, and consider issues of investigation, such as uh, prior notice for those premises liability claims, you know, the Big Apple Pothole Corporation we talked about. Uh, an investigation company should be able to handle this for you. So if you say, can you find out from the Department of Transportation whether they had notice of this pothole, your standard investigative agency should be able to handle this. Uh, if not, your attorneys can. That's what we're here for. Um, so with that, let's see if we have any questions before we wrap up for this month. Oh, I have a, um, I have a comment here saying you are good. Uh, I assume that was in response to the technical difficulties, but uh, I appreciate you giving me the heads up on that. Thank you. Um, any other questions before we wrap up here? Now's the time. Fire away. All right, I am going to assume we're good uh, in terms of questions. Of course, if you, any of them pop up, you can always feel free to call me. 
or shoot an email to cmajor at loslllc.com. We also go over this topic in the risk transfer handbook. So if you shoot me an email, I can always send you a copy of that as well. So um, thank you everyone for attending and I hope to see you all next month.